Hey, I'm glad you're here. Pray with me, please. Our Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit to help us understand your word. Uh, Father, we'll never uh, grasp the uh, depth of your word, but Lord, we want to as much as we're capable. And so we ask you to help us this morning. And Lord, and we see your word. Let us see through your word the grace that's given to us in Christ and uh, rejoice in that grace and honor you with that rejoicing. So please, uh, Lord, help us and we'll, we'll be thankful in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to look at chapter 13, Deuteronomy chapter 13, and we're going to kind of um, take a high, what do they call it, 30,000 foot view of 13, 14, and 15 uh, this morning. Uh, it's not narrative, it's just teaching. Narrative, you know, it's not, it's not a story that happens. It's just Moses is still preparing the children of Israel to go into Egypt. It's still applicable to us today. Uh, everything he says to them, we need to learn from. We don't have the same, we're not under the law as they were, but the principles apply to our lives as well. And so the very first thing he talks about is in chapter 13 is how to evaluate a prophet. So read with me, if you would, the first five verses. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. Really interesting. There are still people today who uh, call themselves prophets and they prophesy things that are not in Scripture. And I think these verses make it very clear. God said to the nation of Israel, um, if, it's, if I hadn't said it to you, if, it's not a, if, it, if it hadn't been commanded to you. Now, when we think about when, he's, when he, here these verses said the commandments, the, thing, the word that I've commanded you, it's not just the Ten Commandments, but it is the law given to them, the, 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 the ceremonial law that's been given to them about their worship. It is the moral law and the commandments. It is the law toward God about idolatry. It is the uh, dietary law that's given. It's all the things that God has said to this. This is how you live. And it's been for these five books, Moses has put it down. This is what God has said. And he's saying if some, if some dreamer of dreams comes and said, well, God spoke to me in a dream, and this is what we should do. We should bow down to Moloch or Baal, or we should, we, we should do this to ensure that our, our they're not planting crops yet, but we should do this to ensure that our children are healthy, or we should do this to ensure that our flocks are healthy. Uh, he's saying, um, 
don't pay attention. If God hadn't said it, it's not true. Uh, if you can't measure it by the Word of God, and, and there are people today who, I should I start to say well-meaning, and, uh, but that, that sounds too positive. They're, they're deluded. They, they have dreams and think it's the Word of God that's not scriptural. And if it's not scriptural, it is not the Word of God. If it is scriptural, good for them. Yeah, they're preaching to you, and that's okay. And, uh, you know, we should preach to ourselves, and we should listen to people who do preach to us. And so if they're, if they're saying to us, I, I read in the scripture, God impressed on my mind this scripture, and uh, I think you could benefit from it, we ought to at least pay attention. But if they're saying that God has told me you need to move to Dallas uh, in July, I'm saying, I ain't going you know, because I like, I like going to Dallas in the spring and maybe in the fall, but not in the summertime. And so it's not in the scripture, and that's, that's not what God wants for me. Now, if, if God hems me in and sends me there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, but, he, but, it, but not if somebody tells me they've had a dream. It's really interesting. Moses was saying to them, you're going into this land, and there's these prophets and there's these idol worshipers, and they're going to affect you. They're going to try to draw you away from what God has taught you. And that's what happens today. There, there is a world of information on the Internet. There is a world of spiritual... Um, I should, sp- there's a world of spirituality stuff on the Internet, isn't it? Uh, do, you, do you look occasionally? I mean, occasionally I do, not... Not often, but I listen to podcasts some, but occasionally uh, there's a world of things on the Internet. Um, not, not long after we got saved, we had gone, I don't remember where we'd gone, but we were coming home late at night, kids were asleep, Don and I was listening, or she was asleep, I'm sure, but I was listening to the radio. And back then you had AM radio, you didn't have, um, you didn't have the, whatever you call it, uh, Sirius XM. And so I was listening to AM radio, and I was listening to a preacher, because uh, I'm so spiritual, I listen to preachers instead of music. And so, and he was, he, was, he was talking about how we worship, and we worship on the Sabbath. And I thought, well, that makes sense, because, you know, the Sabbath, I knew that was in the Bible. I didn't know much Bible, but I knew that was in the Bible. And come to find out, so he said, you know, you, you subscribe to this, so I got Donald to write it down. And I subscribed to his magazine, and it was the Worldwide Church of God. And uh, I can't remember his name now. I'll think of it later, about midnight tonight. So, uh, the Worldwide Church of God. So I was reading his magazine and uh, coming to church here and thinking, you know, this guy makes a lot. You know, he's a spiritual guy. You know, he talks to the Lord. So, you know, so isn't that, isn't that something? And had I not been taught here the truth of God's Word, I would have followed Him. I, I would have been a works-based Christian because that appealed to my nature, still does, by the way. Uh, it's a fallen nature, but it appealed. works-based Christian means that we can do something and we can take credit for it. We can do something and feel good about ourselves because I'm doing something more than what you're doing, and so I feel good about myself. And, I, and then you can do the same thing. You can do more than what I'm doing. You might, it might be a private. It might be public. It, it might be giving. It could be any. And we feel good about ourselves. 
Moses is saying to them, you're going to go into the land and these people are going to tell you that God's speaking through them and they're telling you what you need to do. And he's saying, if you put them to death. That's pretty serious, isn't it? That's how, that's how serious that God takes doctrine and theology. Now, I, I read, uh, um, you know, Calvin, John Calvin's biography, a couple of different ones, and uh, at one time in his life, he, he was pastor in, he was one of the pastors in, in Geneva, Switzerland, and the city council ran the churches. It's really interesting how they're structured, but the city council was over the churches, so he basically worked for the city council, and uh, there was a guy, and he was, John Calvin was a Calvinist, by the way, I guess, I guess we could say that. So he believed in the sovereignty of God. He believed uh, that God was in control of things. So there's a guy came into their area named Cervantes. I think it's how you pronounce his name. And Cervantes believed in the absolute free will of man. Okay, he believed, he, he didn't believe in an election, but he, and I'm, I'm giving generalizations, but he believed in the free will of man. And they took it so seriously that he was going to pervert the people and he was, going to, he was going to draw them away from the truth of Scripture, they voted, and John Calvin voted with the council and put him to death. Later in life, John Calvin, I think, I think from what I gather from his writing, he, he regretted that, uh, or maybe he had second thoughts. I regret maybe too strong a word, but he had second thoughts. And I, you know, I thought about that, and I thought, how serious is that? That you would put somebody to death because they're going to draw your descendants away from the truth. You know that you know the truth, but your children may not know the truth. And they're listening to this guy. He's writing books, and they're reading them, <clears throat> and their eternity hangs in the balance. And God said to the Jewish nation. Put them to death. Put them to death. Now, there's been a lot of perversion of that. You remember, we, in our history, there was the Salem witch trials, and probably they put people to death who were not really witches, uh, who may just have been different from them. And so uh, there, has to be, there has to be some evaluation. There has to be some truth. But I'm just saying, the point is, God, God takes it seriously that we understand doctrine, correct doctrine, and we... And out of doctrine, which is absolute truth, doctrine is absolute truth. The Trinity, Christ, um, hypostatic union, he's fully man, fully God. Uh, he's virgin birth. Those are absolute truths. Died on the cross, resurrected the third day, absolute truth. And out of those truths flow theology. Theology is the study of those truths and how it's ap- applicable to our lives. So... God takes it seriously, and he holds us accountable for that. He talks about family members in the next paragraph, beginning in verse 6 down through verse 11. Your family members could draw you away. Let's just read through it. If your brother, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom, or your friend who is your own soul, who is as your own soul, secretly entices you, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers, the gods of the people which are all around you, near to you or far off from you, from one end of the earth 
to the other end of the earth. You shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him. But you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. And you shall stone him with stones until he dies, because he sought to entice you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So all Israel shall hear and fear and not again do such wickedness as this among you. We're influenced by family. Strongly, we're influenced by family. Uh, Maybe our, our spouse influences us, our parents influence us, our children influence us. And he just saying, you've got to beware, and it's the same principle. If they're drawing you away to other gods, it's such a serious offense, God said, put them to death. Now remember, they're under the, <clears throat> they're under the law, we're under grace. We're not, we don't put people to death for bad theology today. Uh, we, don't, we, we don't do that. It's not because we're more civilized than they were. It's simply because they were under the law, and we're under grace. Okay, and our world is under grace today in the church age. They were under the law, and, and God's, God was protecting them. God, God had, he wanted them to be like an incubator. You know what an incubator is? You ever raise chicks? You ever get chicks in the mail? You put them in the bathtub and put a light bulb above them? Oh, you poor people, you don't know what life was like. <laughs> I always love doing that because you know one day we're going to eat them, and second, you didn't have to take a bath as long as they were in the bathtub. (laughs) And so God had the nation of Israel in an incubator, and he's protecting them, and he's saying, this is part of your protection. You take it seriously, you listen to my word. And then there's the influence of the greater culture. This is where we live. This is where we live. This is the culture that we live in. Verse 12. If you hear someone in one of your cities, which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in, saying, Corrupt men have gone out from among you and entice the inhabitants of their cities, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. Then you shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently, and it shall be indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you. You shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that is in it and its livestock with the edge of the of the sword, and you shall gather all its plunder in the middle of the street, and completely burn with fire the city and all its plunder. For the Lord your God, it shall be a heap forever, it shall not be built again. So none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand, that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger, and show you mercy, have compassion on you, and multiply you just as he swore to your fathers." Because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all his commandments. That's the word of God. You listened to the word of God. You kept all, all that he's commanded you today to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. So it's very, very serious. This is how uh, serious that God said to the nation of Israel, I want you to be holy. Holy is set apart. I want you to be set apart from the influence of idolatry, from the influence of the idolatry that comes through a prop, somebody who claims to be a prophet, or your family, or the culture that you're going into. And we know when you read through Judges, when you read through uh, the rest of the historical books, you know they didn't do it. They didn't do it. And they were drawn away into idolatry. 
and eventually God sent them into captivity, uh, the northern kingdom to the Assyrians, the southern kingdom to the Babylonians, and, and then uh, the, when they went through repentance, they came back into the land uh, for the birth of Christ. So, very serious. And we don't take it, I, I don't take it seriously enough I don't take it seriously enough that when I'm reading the news on my phone or I'm watching the news or uh, that I don't evaluate what I'm hearing uh, when I'm, you know, listening to someone teach or preach. I don't evaluate and say, okay, is this biblical? Uh, is this, and it's not just, if we're listening to teaching and preaching, we should say, is this biblical? Is this correct doctrine? Is this correct theology? Is it biblical? Uh, but when we're thinking about the culture and, and the bombardment, we're, we're so attuned to information coming to us all the time, we don't evaluate it. It influences us. We don't evaluate it. Uh, as much as, as much we, we should say, is this pleasing to the Lord? Is this helpful to my life? Is this, does this glorify God? Does this help me to glorify God? And we should evaluate it in that sense. And then he moves to personal discipline, chapter 14. Uh, read it with me, first couple of verses. You are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave the front of your head for the dead. For you are a holy people of the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Okay, so the common... A common practice among pagan religions is they cut themselves for mourning. Uh, they shave their head, particularly away for, for mourning. Now, the Jews would take a vow and shave their head. So it's not that. So it's not that. Uh, he, but he's saying they, they, they cut themselves. Sometimes if you're watching, um, and maybe you see in a third world country, uh, maybe uh, Latin America or somewhere, and there'll be an Easter parade or a Christmas parade or, you know, the, uh, and, and they're going through the street and journey they carry across. And there, there are men who flagellate themselves. They whip themselves until they bleed. Um, there are, uh, they're are there's some Catholic people who, again, and when I talk about Catholic people, I'm talking about Catholic doctrine and practice, not the persons. But there's some, there's some Catholic people that they wear a, I can't remember what they call it, but they wear a, like a band around their thigh, and uh, it's, it has some spikes. Let's just think of barbed wire. It has some spikes, and it has, a, it has a device to tighten it. And what they do is that they, when you're tempted... You tighten that. You ever, you ever heard this deal like the psychologist tells you that, you know, if you're going to break a habit, you put a rubber band around your wrist and pop yourself? I saw that on Doc Martin. How many of you know who Doc Martin is? Boy, do you live a sheltered life. You know? But you, you know, and so, you know, you're thinking bad thoughts or you're tempted, you pop that and you pop and think, okay, get, get me back in line. You know, pop me back in line. So, okay, what they're doing is that they, they tighten that till it, it hurts and it bleeds. And if you think about that, you're thinking, okay, I'm repenting. 
I'm, I'm, I'm repenting, I'm punishing myself, I'm repenting, it's keeping me on the straight and narrow. This is what God said. You don't, you're not to do that. You're, when you're mourning, whether you're mourning your sin or you're mourning the death of someone, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But look at verse 2 once again. And this is how he sees them. This is how God sees the nation of Israel and how he sees us today. For you're a holy people to the Lord your God. Again, holy means set apart. Doesn't mean you're without sin, but you're set apart. God, you're God's special people. You're set apart. Um, the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself. You're set apart. You're chosen. And when were you chosen? He chose them before they existed. He chose them in Abraham. Okay? He chose us in Christ. You were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's what the New Testament teaches us. So we were chosen before we existed. Okay? They were chosen before they existed. So they're a chosen people, a special treasure above all the people who are on the face of the earth. Now remember where we were a couple of weeks ago, and God said very explicitly in the Scripture, I didn't choose you because you're great and mighty, and I didn't choose you because you were spiritual. You were religiously more spiritual than anybody else. It wasn't any of those things. It was simply his choice. It was simply his will. So, but he's saying to them, this is who you are. This is your position in uh, my kingdom, and I want you to behave like it. I want you to acknowledge that, and, 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 and as a result of that acknowledgement, live your life in that manner that glorifies that and glorifies me. Okay, that's Christianity. We don't do these things to be saved. We do these things out of gratitude that we are saved. So the principle applies to us. That principle right there is in the New Testament. We are a holy people to God. We are chosen in Christ. We were talking about that. We're a people for himself, a special treasure above all the people who are on the face of the earth. Not because we're smarter, wiser, more spiritual, none of that. It's simply by the grace of God. God spoke to your heart, and the Holy Spirit brought new life to you, and you believed in Christ through faith, that God gave you the gift of faith, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, and you believed in Christ, and you became, you, you became a Christian. And it all, it's God's work. It was God's work in your life. We have nothing to brag about. We, we, we have reason to bow our knee and say, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. That you saw fit to save me who was unworthy, but you saved me. I keep hammering that, it seems like every Sunday, because that is the key to life. It is the key to the gospel, and it is a key to joy in Christ. We, we live in a tough world. I mean, I, we have a lot of material things, a lot of material blessings. We're very comfortable people. But this is a tough world. It's a tough world to be a Christian. Uh, I, I, I worry and pray for my grandkids and uh, because, <clears throat> and I shouldn't be worrying and praying for myself more, uh, because we're so bombarded with information. Think for a moment, if you, if you were living here in this day and time, and the only people you're going to be exposed to outside your family 
is these people who you're going in and invading their land, and, and it's your land, God gave it to you, but you're going to drive them out. But they have the high places up in the hills, and you think, okay, what are they doing up there? And then you, if you're a young man, you find out it's sexual, you're pretty interested in what they're doing up there. And uh, so, I, you know, you're thinking, but that's the only contact you have. You spend all your days in this confinement of what you know and what you're used to. That's not the world we live in. We're bombarded with information. We're bombarded with sensuality. We're bombarded with all that. You, you know that. But here's the problem. I think we're so, we're so used to it, we're immune to the damage. We're immune to the influence it has upon us. Um, and, and, and because of that, we're not, we're, not being, we're not living out what God, we're not setting ourselves apart because we're chosen, because we're a special treasure unto God. And he wants us to set ourselves apart. So anyway, all that's don't mutilate yourself. Don't be like the, don't be like the pagans. Don't mutilate yourself for those that have, that have died. And then he gives dietary laws. Verse 3 down through verse 21. I'm not going to read them. Uh, it's, but it's dietary laws about clean and unclean animals. There are a couple of reasons, I think, is that uh, first, first, I think, was health reasons. It, some of the unclean things, whether creepy things or flying things or fish uh, or animals, some of the unclean things that he said to them, the, these were bad for your health. They're the ones that carried disease. They're the ones that carried uh, things that would, would cause you to have bad health. So don't eat those things. Part of it was some of them were used in pagan religion. Some of them were, uh, were going to be, that they were going to see were part of the pagan religion, religious rites. And if you read a little history, you'll find a little bit of information on that. So there's both things. God just saying, Here, here's, here's your chosen holy people. Don't eat these things. Don't eat these things. They're bad for you. Bad for you spiritually, bad for you physically. Don't eat these things. We have a group going fishing this morning, and I was going to say catfish is one of those things. <laughs> Fish had to have fins and scales. Catfish has fins, but they don't have scales. And so, but we're not under the law. When they cook them, I'm going to eat them. You know, when they, when they bring them back and cook them up, I'm going to eat them. And that's what we need to remember. We're not under the law today. It'd probably be healthy for us if we didn't eat some of these things, but then we're not under the law. We're under grace. Then he speaks about money at the end of the chapter. Look, look at verse 22. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. You shall not eat before the Lord, and you shall eat <clears throat> before the Lord your God in all the place where he chooses to make his name abide. Remember we talked about that? Last week, they're, they're going to, the, the, the tabernacle is going to be at Mizpeth, and then it's going to go to Shiloh, and then it's going to go to Jerusalem. And the Lord is saying to them, you're scattered up and down this land, you're across the river Jordan, two and a half tribes to the east, but, but I want you to come to this central place, like you've done these 40 years, I want you to come to this central place at the designated times and worship together, and so... Uh, <clears throat> 
if you're going to eat, part, they, they would take their offerings, offer part of it, the, the priest would keep part of it, and they would eat it. It would be a celebration, it would be a feast before the Lord. And he said, but I want you to do it in the place you choose this, your new wine, your new oil, the middle of verse 23, the firstborn of your flocks, your flocks, you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. It's really interesting. When we think about giving, here, here's what he's saying. I, I want you to eat before me your offering, and you bring your you bring your tithe that you don't eat, or you're bringing things that you don't leaving, but you're eating part of your offering. You've offered us a, a thanks offering, a sin offering. You're, so you're eating that before the Lord. And, and that last verse, last phrase, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God. Now we know that fear means more than we're afraid of God. We're it's not that we're afraid what he'll do if we don't give, but we learn to fear him. It's, it's all, we're in awe of God. We're, when you open your hand and give your offerings, you're saying, God, I trust you. I'm not trusting myself. I'm not trusting what I have in the bank. I'm not trusting who I work for. I'm not trusting the, the government who's backing up this money. I'm trusting you. I trust you. That's the fear of God. That, that's what he's speaking of, the, the fear of God. And then he speaks to them about the, the journey in verse 24. He said, if the journey's too long for you so that you're not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money, take the money in your hand, go to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink. For whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gate, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. So he's saying, if you're, if you're up, in, um, uh, up in the territories, up in the north, you're up in Galilee, and you've got a tithe of your grain, a tithe of your animals, you can't take that down to Jerusalem. So what I want you to do, you sell it, you sell it, you take the money, and you bring the money, you buy whatever you're going to sacrifice down there, you give your tithes, that's money, or you're buying what you're sacrificing, what you're going to eat for the feast, and you feast before the Lord down in Jerusalem. Okay, this is... the point of contention that Jesus had with the Pharisees when he came, and you remember he overturned the money changers' tables and he drove out the sheep, and, and he said, you made my father's house a den of thieves. What Historically, what the Pharisees were doing, <clears throat> the high priest and the Pharisees, is that they, they had a racket. <clears throat> you, you sold your animals up here in Galilee, and you came there and maybe you could go to the edge of town and buy uh, a sheep there, but you bring it to the temple, and I said, mm-mm, that's not good enough. We've inspected that one. That's not good enough. You need to buy one of these that we have in the pen over here, and, and you can imagine what the price would be. The price is going to be, that's what G, the price is exorbitant. They're robbing the people. They had a temple tax. You couldn't bring money from Galilee, or if you had a Roman coin, you couldn't bring that and give it. You had to change it into the temple money. And they charged you a fee for doing that as well. So they were robbing the people who are coming to worship God. 
And Jesus had a problem with it, and I think he still does today. If church leadership is not honest and above board and concerning the offerings and all those things, it, it, it is uh, still a problem. Really interesting, isn't it? So the Lord said, you know, I want you to come together and worship. I want you to come together and worship. We're going to take communion this morning, and that's what we're doing. We're coming together. Uh, the, the New Testament teaches in Corinthians that when the church comes together, uh, there, I, I'm going to give you my opinion, okay? Put it in quotes, my opinion. There are people who take communion on their own. There are people who, uh, Don and I went to church in Granbury a few weeks ago, and they had communion, and we didn't partake. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a religious fanatic, but I'm not a part of that body. I'm part of your body. I'm a part of, of your body right here. And so uh, I just think it, didn't, it wouldn't mean that much to do it there. And so we didn't partake. Um, now, if it had donuts, we might have changed our mind. You know, if, it, if donuts was the bread, I, I might have partaken. I might have partaken of one. <laughs> but we're to do it when the body comes together. That's what the Lord is saying to the nation. Of Israel. You, you come together. You're not individualistic in your belief. You, you are this nation that I've chosen, and I want you to come together. And, he, and, and the Lord's going to make it clear through, when they could and as the opportunity and that there's a hardship. And, you know, it, it's, it was hard in that day. If you go travel three days from Galilee and you're bringing your family and you're leaving, you're, somebody has to watch your flocks. And so you're, you, it's hard to do that. But God said, I want you to do it, and he wants us to do it. Maybe it's hard for you to get up and come here this morning and uh, maybe hard for you to give, maybe hard for you to do this, but God is saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to fear me. I want you to have a reverence in your mind and your spirit toward who I am and what I can do for you and what I've done for you. I want you to trust me and I want you to feel secure, to be safe and Regardless of what's happening in the world or what's happening in your life or what's happening in your body, I want you to know that I care for you and you can trust me. And then uh, he talks about sharing with others, verse 27, of, uh, you shall not forsake the Levite who's within your gates for he has no part nor inheritance with you. Remember we looked at that. All the other tribes were allotted land and had territory. The Levites did not. There were allotted cities to live in and garden plots. But the other tribes' tithes and offering were to take care of the Levites. So he said, uh, verse 29, Levite has no portion or inheritance within the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, or within your gates. You may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. We're still... To have a concern, the New Testament tells us that true religion is to care about the widows and orphans. Okay, so we're still to do that. We're still to have a, a part with that. And then we come to the sabbatical year in chapter 15. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner, you may require it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother. The Lord's going to, uh, they're going to allot the land to the nation of Israel. So the tribe of Dan has land, the tribe of 
Uh, Judah has land, and so Manasseh's, so they have this land. And then in that territory, it's going to be uh, divided among the family groups. So all the, the heads of the family. You, you know, you wonder sometimes, you read the genealogies in the Old Testament, you read the genealogy of Christ in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, you read these genealogies, and you think, what does it matter? Why, why do we care? And they cared because the land belonged to individual families within these tribes. And God is saying, let's just say that <clears throat> I have a plot of land. I'm a Jew, Israelite during this time, a Hebrew. I have a plot of land. And I get into debt. I'm a bad farmer. I'm a bad husbandman of the, of the flock. So I go broke. And so what I do, I sell you the land. And, and I sell you the land. And the second year after the seventh year, so there's five more years. So what you do, you pay me for the land, basically it'd be a lease for five more years, because at the end of that five years, I get it back. And so what God is saying is that you are brethren, your brethren. I, want you to, I don't want you to oppress your brethren. Help them, uh, do business with them, but in the end, the land belongs to who? It belongs to God. In the end, it belongs to God. And that's a New Testament principle. We are stewards of all that God has given to us. That's all. We're a steward. Uh, We're not taking it with us in heaven. We're going to get more than that in heaven. We're going to inherit with Christ. Uh, We're going to, because we are uh, the brothers and sisters of Christ, we're going to inherit the riches of glory, but we're not taking this earthly thing with us. And so... He's saying, I, I want you with your brethren to be reasonable, and you don't charge them usury. You know, it's real. There's a lot of principles that go with this further on. He speaks about uh, a foreigner is different. You know, if a foreigner sells you something, it's yours. You can keep it from a foreigner. You don't have to give it back on the Jubilee year, on the seventh year. So <clears throat> then he talks about uh, generosity toward. Uh, others in the nation, verse 7 through 9, if they're among you a poor man or your brother within any of the gates of your land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for he needs whatever he, he needs. Verse 9, beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. We have a temptation to be covetous. And, and that covetous would mean that, okay, I've rented your land, I've improved it, and now I'm going to have to give it back to you at the end of the seventh year. And he's, and he's saying, mm, don't let your eye be evil. Don't, you know, just because you can take advantage of your poor brother, don't you, don't you dare do it. You, you uh, lest he cry out to the Lord among you, and it becomes sin uh, among you. It's really interesting. God knows our nature, doesn't he? He knows our nature, and he's saying, beware of your nature. Beware of your nature. Trust in me. Beware of your nature. <clears throat> he talks about giving without resentment. Verse 10. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all you do and what you put your hand. You know what he's speaking about? 
sometimes we give and there is a resentment to the giving. We resent giving. And we resent maybe what they do with what we give. And the Lord is just saying, can't do that. You open your hand, you give it, and you don't, you don't regret it or resent it. Don't be grieved when you give to him because you're doing it out of obligation. Uh, don't, don't, don't do that. He said, verse 11, For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. I've told you my story so many times. I grew up alcoholic father, moved 20 different schools. I mean, we were, we were poor church mice, except we weren't churched. So, I mean, and so we, we got commodities sometimes. Today that's called welfare. I wish we'd have had a Texas card. I would have enjoyed that. But back then, how many of you know what commodities are? Okay, so we got, we got I mean, and I'm, I'm not proud of it, I'm not, but I'm not ashamed of it either. That's just life. Uh, we had to survive. Mom knew we had to survive. She had, you know, and so, uh, so I'm, what I'm saying to you, what that did to me is it made me think that the material world would bring you security because we had none, and I grew up with that. And so money meant a lot to me. Security meant a lot to me. Don and I bought a house when we'd been married a few years, and we were the first in our family to own a house. And, and, and we'd never owned a house. And, uh, and it meant something. It meant security. It meant, uh, do you understand what I'm saying? What, what I owned, I, I will, I'll never throw anything away. Donna throws it away, you know. I, it's security to me. So when it came time to give, I had to trust the Lord. I had to learn that I'm, I'm going to open my hand as an as a act of worship. And I read somebody's book. I don't even know whose it was. Probably John Piper. And he talked about give something away that means something to you. Give something away that means something to you. Learn to, learn to open your hand and let it go. And you'll be free. And I wish I could say to you it happened in one instant, but it hasn't. It was, it, it was a trial for me to learn to trust the Lord, to open my hand because I, and I'm saying my background, but it's not, it wasn't just my background, it was my nature. My nature was I wanted to prove myself, and there has to be a measurement of proving yourself. And that measurement for me was what you owned and what you possessed. And, and what you earned. It's really interesting. And the Lord's saying, do it without resentment. Just do it without, don't, don't resent it. Just give. And if there's somebody you know that needs it, give it to them. For goodness sake, give it to them. Most of us in this room, have, we have more than we need. We have, and I'm not, I'm not chastising you. I, it's true with me as well. And we're not, we're not open enough with other people to give when we see a need. Uh, we think, well, somebody else is, should be responsible for that. Some of their family members should be responsible for that. We sh- but, but we should do that. And then he speaks about the firstborn, the offering of the firstborn uh, principle. Uh, let me see what time it is. Okay, verse, verses 19 through 22. 
uh, I think this is a good principle. All the firstborn males that come from your herd, from your flocks, you shall sanctify the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You and your household shall eat it before the Lord your God year by year in the places which the Lord chooses. Uh, for the defect in it, lame or blind, or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Uh, you may eat it within your gates. Um, the clean, the unclean, person alike may eat it as it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour out on the ground like water. Let me just touch it very quickly. The Lord spoke to them about giving up their firstborn as a sacrifice because they came out of Egypt under the death of the firstborn of Egypt. And they, you know, put the blood on the lentils and, and God passed over the Jewish people, the Hebrews, and their firstborn didn't die. So God said, you do this as a remembrance. So the firstborn of your animals, you dedicate to the Lord. And uh, you don't, uh, and, and so, but if it has a defect, you, then you put a substitute in there. So again, it's a matter of your, your acknowledging to God. He's saying to this nation, you're acknowledging to God that we're dependent upon you. You chose us, you brought us out. This is what you did. This is a symbolic of what you did, and I'm doing it symbolically uh, as a reminder. Okay, we come to the New Testament. We're going to take communion this morning as a reminder of what Christ did for us. It's going to be, it's reminding us that he suffered in his body, and humanly he suffered uh, more than we can understand. And then he suffered uh, rejection from God. And, and that probably, I think, is worse than the bodily suffering. The bodily suffering is the worst that man can devise, but he suffered the rejection of God because he had my sin upon him, and God can't look upon sin. And he turned his face away from Christ. And that's what we're remembering this morning, that he shed his blood for the propitiation of my sin, that, 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 that God's wrath would be satisfied toward me, toward you, and that we would not be in jeopardy of the wrath of God ever again. When you, when you partake this morning, uh, I, I know that Jeff will have someone pray over the bread, and over the, over the I sort of say the wine. He'll, he'll have somebody pray over the cup and... Uh, but you know what I try to do? Let me, let me, I, I try to say, when I take that little piece of bread, I don't, I don't try to think about how bad it tastes. I don't try to think. I try to think about, Lord, you gave your body. I say that to myself. I say it to him. You gave your body to die in my place. Same thing with the cup. When you drink the cup, say, Lord, you, you, you gave your blood as a propitiation of my sin. And I, li- I listen to what's going on, but I say that to myself. I'm not saying every time, but nearly every time for, for years because I want it to be meaningful to me. I don't want it just to be, you know, it's something so, it can be so casual. It can be so, you know, we concentrate on these. You know, used to we had the cup. We had a piece of, little piece of cracker or whatever, and it was so easy to do that. Now you're complicated. You're trying to figure out how to get it open not spill it on your shirt, and, you know, and not stain your shirt. You, you know, and don't, don't do that. Don't do that. 
Think about the Lord. Don't be distracted. Don't be distracted this morning. <laughs> Let me give you some summary thoughts. Here, here are my summary thoughts and we'll, we'll go to church. Our acts of worship, giving of the first fruit, which today would be tithing, baptism, communion, they're reminders to us of the grace given to us in Christ. Don't minimize them. Don't minimize They're reminders to us. And God knows we need reminders. So he gave us these things as reminders to us. They show our dependence upon God and they show our gratitude toward God. They, they work for us. They, they minister to us when we do these things. And then remember what we read this morning. The act of worship or prayer or giving is meaningless if we resent having to perform it. Don't resent it. If you resent it, examine your heart. Say, why do I resent this? Why do I, am I trusting that? Why, why do I feel this resentment when I give of myself or give something away? And then, if your spirit is willing, these things, acts of worship, giving, prayer, um, communion, they're accepted as a sweet-smelling savor before God, Philippians 4, 18. And we're blessed in the performance of these acts of worship. We actually receive blessing for doing it. We're honored. As oft as you do this in remembrance of me, God will bless us for doing that. We're honoring him. We're honoring him in a very physical way. We Baptists don't have many very physical things that we do that are acts of worship. Ours is a spiritual worship. We believe the Bible teaches that. But these things this morning, baptism and communion, are, are acts, physical acts that we're saying to God, I trust you. I love you. I'm doing this. I, this is tangible. I'm doing this. And your spirit is willing. Uh, it's a sweet-smelling savor before God. God is honored, and we're blessed. We're blessed for doing that when we do that this morning. I don't know about you, but I want a blessing from God. I want Him to bless me. I want to know Him. I want to, I want to, I want to have an intimate relationship with Him. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank You <clears throat> for these examples and teaching that You gave to the nation of Israel. We thank You that You've given us in the New Testament, similar principles to live by. Uh, Father, we don't have to do them, uh, and you'd still love us. We're still your chosen. But Father, I pray that you'd help us to do these things, uh, acts of worship to your glory. Lord, that we exalt you and that we be blessed in doing so. Lord, when, we, when we're satisfied in you, you're glorified. When we trust you, you're glorified. When, when we do these acts of worship with a spirit of, of wanting to please you, you're glorified. And we're blessed. And we thank you for it. Thank you that you gave us these things. Thank you that you gave us uh, this uh, practice of communion. Of, and, and Lord, that we could acknowledge what Christ has done in a tangible way. So bless us this morning, bless our church, our families, we gather together. Uh, Lord, might it be a testimony to our children, those who are coming up after us, 
uh, I, I just pray, Lord, that uh, you be exalted in all we do today. In Christ's name, amen. Well, God bless you. We will see you in church.